Last week we talked about, uh, you know, we were right in the middle of what it meant to be able to say that what we're doing, we're doing by the strength of God. That everything we do, we do by that, that glorious might that he provides. And Colossians 1 continues with this thought. So if you'll turn there with me, uh, we're going to start right in verse 9 again. We're going to read uh, verse 9 and 10. Even though we've already talked about it, we'll read them again. Uh, because really, we're going to spend most of our time in uh, 12 and 13. But you kind of need, need the context to really get all of the juice out of this. In Colossians 1.9, it says, For this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We talked about that last week, what it meant to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not just, um, not just knowing his will in one or two circumstances, but to walk in the will of God, to really be filled with that knowledge. And, and, and we talked about how, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that that comes through learning and, and, and growing, but most of, most of what he's talking about here, it, you can't separate that from relationship with God. This comes through knowing him. And uh, we're about to get into how we can say we can know God. How can we, how can we presume that we would be able to get close to God? We're going to talk about that tonight. But he says this, that you be filled with the knowledge of, all of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In verse 10 it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the way we live is going to reflect the glory of God. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's so much in those few verses that really... The tendency we have as believers, even if you've been a believer for a long time, when you read this section of scripture, it's got so many amazing big ideas in it that sometimes we just kind of, our eyes glaze over, we trip a break or somewhere, and, and we just kind of lump it all into, well, that's all good stuff. I don't know if you've done that. Have, have you done that? I do that all the time. When I'm not really digging in, um, so much is said in this little bit of scripture and it's all so huge that if I'm not careful, I'll just read over it and I'll just say, oh, there's just a bunch of good stuff there. And I won't really dig into it because there's so much. I get overloaded. And so we're going to do our best tonight to take our time and to see this for what it is. Because, you know, the Bible says here, right in this verse that we read, that we are, we're supposed to be joyously giving thanks for these things. Well, how many of you know you can't joyously give thanks for something you don't really understand? I mean, now, let me qualify that. There's a lot of this I'll say I don't fully understand. But I know enough to give thanks for it. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm receiving it by faith. And that's really what we got to get to tonight. There's a lot of this stuff that's said here where, where the reality of this is, is more reality. It's more real than the day-to-day -day stuff you deal with. But the day-to-day -day stuff you deal with is in your face. It's physical. You can see it. You can hear it. You can touch it. So a lot of times we make that more real. 
you know, uh, I had a bad day at work, this happened, this happened, this happened. That seems more real to you because you dealt with the physical effects of it. You know, it was weighing on you, somebody talked to you a certain way, or this happened. And we treat that as more real than what Jesus did for us and more real than what's going on in the unseen world that we, we can't perceive with our physical eyes. We treat one thing as more real than the other. The, the crazy thing is when we read the Bible, we understand that the things we can't see, they're the most real. They're the eternal things. I mean, you, I don't have to convince you that this jar is real. If I do, uh, we're going to have a tough night tonight. If you already are stumbling over, that's not a real jar. Illuminati, that's not real. Um, we're going to have a tough night. Most of you can see this is real. There's no argument about that. We are so used to trusting what we see, right? And, and you, something's going on out there. It sounds fun. Um, you're not really debating this is real because you can see it. You could come up here and touch it. All of that. But what about what's happening and what's, what Jesus has done for us and what he, is, what he has made final through his blood? What happened on the cross? What happened in the resurrection? Who you are in Christ? That's the most real. That's the eternal stuff that's going to last. Someday that glass is going to turn back to sand. Someday it's going to turn into nothing. It can't last forever. But there are truths that will last forever. And the stuff that lasts longer is the realest. That's the stuff that you really put the value on. And so when he says this, he says in verse um, 11, that we're meant to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Let's stop there for a second and realize how big that is. Strengthened with all power. Just think about it for a minute. What does all power mean? I mean, see, for, for many of us, I mean, you might be thinking like, I don't know, are you thinking like Marvel movies or something, you know, <laughs> superpowers? I mean, strengthened with all power. Uh, uh, for us, we're trying to figure out what, what is all powered? What kind of power are you talking about? And, and really, I think for all of these examples that we're about to read, the best way you can understand it is to look back at Jesus. Right? Here's a guy who walked in all of this. So the power, the authority he walked in didn't come from him, right? The, the, the authority to say what he said, to do what he did, didn't come from him. He said, I'm doing this because the Father told me to do it. He said, everything I do, I do because of the Father. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was commissioned by the Father. So nothing came from him, according to him. He said, none of this is coming from me. It's all coming from heaven. Now that's the power he's talking about here when he says, you, are, you should be strengthened with all power according to, that means this is the account we're drawing out of, his glorious might. Where's that power coming from? All of his glorious might. So when it says all power, what it's talking about is all kinds of power. And, and no, I'm not talking about lifting a piano with your pinky. That would be cool. But I don't really think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about something bigger than that. And that's the power, the authority that Jesus walked in. That's that strength that he walked in. Now listen, we can kind of see how it plays out because he says that this power is going to cause you to be steadfast and patient. Now, those aren't Marvel words. You know, <laughs> those aren't comic book words. The steadfast man. You know, I mean, we're not excited about patient dude. Really? I mean, like that, that doesn't sound exciting. But in reality, think about how many people you know that have been steadfastly, 
walking with Christ and, and, and seeing, when, when we talk about steadfastness in, in, in the Christian world, we're not talking about staying the same for 50 years. We're talking about consistent growth, right? Like a tree that just keeps growing. That's steadfastness. Walking with Jesus is never going to leave you the same. So we're, we're steadfastly, consistently growing closer to him. We're, you know, the, Paul put it this way, there is an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the call of God's always pulling us up and in. And, and, and so, you know, like I said, steadfastness, patience, those aren't the words we think of when we think power. We're not drawn to those words when we think power. But you need the power of God to be steadfast. You need the power of God to be patient. Because, you know, it's very easy to be hyped up on the things of God when you're in an atmosphere like this with a bunch of believers that are amening and the words being preached and songs are being sung to the glory of God. It's easy for you to believe in these moments. But there are going to be moments that test you and they're not really testing you. Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'm praying for you that your, your willpower would be strong enough. He didn't say, Peter, I'm praying for you that you wouldn't be such a wimp. He says, Peter, I'm praying for you that you're faith would not fail, right? See, it's not Peter's strength that's going to carry him through. It's his faith in God's strength. So Jesus said, you're going to be tempted. In fact, he said, Satan has desired to test all of you. He's, he's sifting all of you. He's trying to figure out if you're real. And he says, Peter, you're going to make a mistake. <laughs> you're going to make a big one. You're going to deny me in front of a bunch of people. You're going to do it three times. Peter says, Lord, I'd never do that. I mean, I, I love you. I would die for you. And Jesus basically says, Get off your high horse, Peter. It's going to happen. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then Jesus says this wonderful word to him. He says, and when you've returned, turn around and strengthen your brothers. Isn't that an awesome, like, it's such an interesting conversation because we don't think God is ever going to admit to us that we're going to mess up. Like, we, we just don't think that that's godly. We just don't think, we think messing up is, is so antithetical. It's, it's something we should never do. If we mess up, God help us. Uh, we, we just can't imagine how a good Christian would mess up. But Jesus looks Peter in the eye and says, you're going to mess up. But you're not going to let go of me. And I'm not going to let go of you. And there's going to be a point where you turn around and you're going to be a strength to a lot of people. It's the power of God that keeps us steadfast. It's the power of God that builds patience in us. And then it says this, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's one of those sentences that trips the breaker in my brain. <laughs> it's so big. He qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints. Think about how uncomfortable it would make you if everyone around town called you Saint whatever your name is. Right? Why would we trip over that? Because we don't feel worthy of such a title. Now the reason we don't feel worthy of a title is we think we're worthy of something. But when we realize that we're only worthy of anything because of what Jesus did, then you can embrace the fact that you are a saint. Not only can you embrace it, you have to embrace it. It's, it's, it's really a very simple concept, but it's a big one for Christians. 
Because we so identify with our mistakes, we make that our identity. We, we identify with our rebellion, we make that our identity. But the Bible says I'm supposed to consider myself dead to sin. So I'm not supposed to walk around continually calling myself the sinner who's just struggling through life. I'm supposed to believe that what Jesus did for me was real. You will live out the identity you, 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 you embrace. That, that's what you'll live out. Let me just ask you a question. If someone was convinced that they were a dog, they came into a psychiatrist's office and everyone knew this person thinks they're a dog, how would we know they thought they were a dog? What would be the signs that they thought they were a dog? They were acting like a dog, right? Presumably they'd bark or, or, or sniff around or doing something. They would make us all feel really awkward. <laughs> Assuming we were all sitting in a psych office for some reason. <laughs> Like, you don't expect a person who thinks they're a dog to come up and say, excuse me, my good doctor, I've, I've become convinced that I'm a canine of some sort. Um, it's just a feeling I have. I can't escape it. I know I'm a canine. No, that person, the reason we know that they think they're a dog is because they're walking around acting like a dog. The identity you embrace, that's the life you live out. So if you embrace the identity that Jesus gave you, I have died to make you righteous. I'm righteous. That doesn't mean I don't, I don't fall and stumble at times. It doesn't mean my life has, has always been perfect. But if I believe that what he did in me made me a new person, then that's the life I'll live out of. I'll live righteous because that's natural to me. But if I think I'm a dirty, rotten sinner who's just going to get in by the skin of my teeth to heaven, if that's my life, then I will continually stumble into sin because that's who I think I am. You have got to be convinced of who Jesus says you are. You know, there's a reason he continually uses the word saints when he talks to the, about the Christians in the church. He doesn't just talk to, about the nice people in church and call them saints. He doesn't just to call the elders saints. He doesn't just call the ones who've reached a certain level saints. It's not like a pyramid scheme where if you sell this much, you get to saint level. <laughs> it's entry level position is saint. So then he says, he qualified us. He, he qualified us. He qualified us. I could never qualify myself, but he did it for me. He qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now just thinking about what that inheritance is. It's the inheritance that Jesus died to bring you into. It's the inheritance of his sons and daughters. And he goes on and he says this, for he rescued us. So this is a connecting thought. How did he qualify me? How did he make me a saint? How did he qualify me to be part of this, this group of people that he's referring to as saints? How, how did I get into that? He said he rescued us. From the domain of darkness, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. On Sundays, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And so I, if you've been there, you've probably heard me say this. But there's a reason that the Bible never calls it the kingdom of darkness. I used to call it, I used to say there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. But you know what? The Bible never says there's a kingdom of darkness. It says words like there's a domain of darkness. Because a kingdom has a king who has a right to rule. Satan has no right to rule. 
We gave him dominion when we fell. When Adam fell, he gave him some keys. But Satan is never going to be a king. A domain, the word domain just means control. Just, it's, just, it's somebody who has some control. And, and like I said a couple Sundays ago, it's like Satan is a warlord and, and God is a true king. And we have to understand that when we were in darkness, we were controlled by darkness. We were controlled by the enemy. We were controlled by things we didn't want to be controlled by. But when we were transferred, it's so important because I, I think that a lot of us, we talk about our old life and we talk about getting saved. And, and somehow we view our life as, as a new creation in Christ. It's still in light of who we used to be. So if you used to be uh, addicted to drugs, then your new life is, I'm a person who's not addicted to drugs. But you're still viewing yourself in light of who you used to be. I, I would encourage you to tell that story of how God saved you from drugs. I would encourage you to tell that story of how God saved you from greed, how God saved you from uh, uh, the things that used to control you and keep you in that cycle. Tell the story of how Jesus set you free, but you've got a bigger identity than that. Your identity is not just an ex-sinner, right? right? If that's your identity, you're still defined by those things. You've got to have something else. And so he doesn't just say you were delivered from the domain of darkness. He said you were delivered from the domain of darkness and you were transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is very similar to what he said to the Israelites. You know, every few uh, meters in the wilderness, the Israelites would break down and whine, and they would say things like, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why'd you bring us out here to die? You know, like, God kept delivering them. He brought them through the Red Sea. He saved them from their enemies. And they're like, yeah, but I'm tired of angel food. Can't we eat birds? You know, I mean, they, they were such whiners. And I'm lying if I don't confess that I might have been a wine or two if I was there. But, you know, they're walking through and they're, they're constantly moaning about their life and grumbling about, and they constantly doubt whether or not God really wants good for them. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, they said in their tents, God hates us and he brought us here to die. It's weird how you would be delivered through so many mighty signs and wonders and still think that God hates you and still think that this was just a giant prank to kill you. Right? Like God's like, it's just a prank, bro. I brought you, <laughs> you know. I don't know how they, they think. Yeah, he did all this for us, but he wants us to die now. And God says something through Moses. He says, I brought you out to bring you in to the promised land. I brought you out of Egypt so that I could bring you into the promised land. This is something we all have to understand. God brought you out of something, not just to bring you out of something. He brought you out of something to bring you into something. So God brought me out of the, the domain, the warlord control of darkness, but he didn't just bring me out so that I could be free from that. He brought me out so he could bring me into something bigger, the kingdom of his beloved son. Hear that, the kingdom of his beloved son. You remember what he said when Jesus was baptized? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Everything Jesus did was living out of the reality of I am beloved by the father and I am pleasing to the father. 
You can't have Jesus' life and miracles without that reality being the foundation of everything. There's a reason that voice said that at the beginning of his ministry. But I want you to know that's not the first time Jesus heard it. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, when Jesus was just a 12-year-old boy, it says he was growing in favor with God and favor with man. And he was growing wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with man. Jesus said this to his parents when he's 12 years old in the temple. He said, didn't you think, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? His reality, even as a little kid, was I have a heavenly father and I'm about his business. I'm in the family business. And when he got baptized, that voice wasn't for him. It was for everybody else. But he lived every moment knowing I'm beloved. Now you say, well, of course he was. He was the son of God. But you know, John 1 starts out with this powerful thought that to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Maybe you're like me. Maybe it's easier for you to say, I'm a child of God, than for you to make it a little bit more personal and say, I'm a son of God or a daughter of God. Have you ever noticed that that's one of the things that trips the religious alarms in your brain? Right? Like Nick's a child of God. Oh, that's nice. Nick's a son of God. <gasps> Why? Because I assigned a gender to it? What's so scary about that? Well, because all of a sudden we feel like we're elevating ourselves. You aren't elevating yourself. Jesus elevated you from the mud and sat you at the table. And he's always going to be the firstborn amongst us. We're never going to push him out of the way and go, now it's my turn to be Messiah. No, he's always the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he invited you. He is the, the scripture doesn't say he's the firstborn and the one and only son and the rest of us are just servants at the table. He says he's the firstborn amongst many brethren, many brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call you his siblings. He transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son so that you could call, be called a beloved son or daughter of the king. And he says this, in whom we have redemption. I have redemption. I've been bought back. I, I can claim that. I know that. The forgiveness of sins. So just unpacking all of that would take us a good year. Um, to really give it justice. But for tonight, I just want to briefly go over some of those things. I want to connect some verses that I think would, would shed some light on it, specifically in Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians go together like, a, like sister books. They really uh, help illuminate each other. And a lot of times the similar concepts are expressed. And I want to read you something from Ephesians 1. that you, If you've been a believer for a while, you might have heard this before. You probably have. In Ephesians 1 and verse 18, Paul prays this for the church. He doesn't pray this for the pastor. He doesn't pray this for the evangelist or the apostle only. He prays this for every believer who's going to hear the letter. And this letter is addressed to the saints at Ephesus. And it says this. I'm praying, and I'm cutting in the middle of his prayer, but he basically says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. One, one 
translation of this verse says, I pray that your heart would be flooded with light so that you would know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He's praying that you would realize what your inheritance is. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with believers over my lifetime. And outside of the pulpit, you don't hear a lot of believers talk about their inheritance, which is a strange thing. There are some topics we only talk about from the pulpit because we fail to connect them to our life. Do you understand what I mean? We're still good with reading the scripture. We just don't know how that connects to my daily life. I want you to know that the key to connecting this to your daily life is not to read five more books about it. It's to pray what Paul just prayed, that your heart would be filled with light so that you'd understand it, that you know the inheritance you walk in. And like I said, all of these big ideas and big concepts that you see in Ephesians and Colossians, maybe you think you need a theology degree to get it, but I got to tell you, you need the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of really dumb theologians, and there's dumb professors, and there's dumb experts. There's really, you, thank God for learning, thank God for theologians, thank God for professors. I, 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 there's a lot of good ones too. But the only way to really understand this is by the Spirit of God. This is only given by revelation. Revelation means to uncover something. Only God can uncover this in your life. And, and you might think, okay, well, then what do I need to do? Do I need to climb a mountain and seek a guru? Do I need to fast for 30 days so I can get it? You know what? Do whatever God tells you to do. But I really think that you're, sometimes we just overcomplicate it. Jesus said something amazing to his disciples. They came back from a missions trip that he sent them on, and he didn't go with them. And he told them to heal people. And he told them to, to cast out evil spirits. And he told them to cleanse the lepers and to preach the gospel. And they came back pumped. People were healed. And they really got excited because demons were listening when they used the name of Jesus. They never heard of, I mean, they just never ever imagined that they could boss an evil spirit around. They came back and they were so happy. And Jesus says, he just stops and he goes, Father, I thank you that you revealed this to babies. That's a point where you could be offended, <laughs> right? Like, Jesus, do you know what I just realized? And he's like, even the dummies get it, Father, you're amazing. <laughs> wow, even simpletons can walk in this. He'd be like, hey, wait a second, Jesus. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I'm not like, I'm not you, but I, I didn't think I was just an idiot. He's saying, you've revealed it to babies. Do you understand that the disciples that have been walking with Jesus, when that happened, max a couple of years walking with him. A lot less than, a lot of those disciples had been walking with Jesus less than that. We think you got to be a Christian for 15 years before you start doing stuff like that. Right? They had just been walking with Jesus and they didn't even have the Holy Spirit like you have. They weren't filled with the spirit like you are. 
Well, like, you can be. If you're not tonight, you can be. You should be. Right? Like, they didn't have that spirit living inside of them. So imagine what God is asking and, and, and promising us that we would share in that inheritance. Now, there's a, a bunch of levels to that. Of course, we know that a big part of our inheritance is, is something we haven't even seen yet. You know, the Bible talks about that. The scripture says we've been adopted. I'm, I'm already adopted into his family. It's this radical adoption that actually gives me his nature, his character. I'm not the adopted kid that looks nothing like my dad. I was adopted, and you could never pull this kind of adoption off in, our, in, in the real world, where I, I had to be reborn. You know what I mean? That would be radical adoption, hey? This is a nice baby. We're going to put it back in this other mother's womb. It's going to be rebirth. No, but the Bible says I was recreated and reborn. That's why I carry my father's genetics. That's why I, I look like him and I act like him. And sometimes I don't feel like I look like him and act like him. But that nature is within me and it's within you through Jesus Christ. And that's pretty cool. I know I've been adopted. But actually the Bible says that the fulfillment of my adoption is when... Like the final stage of my adoption is when he comes and he meets us and he comes and meets us in the clouds and he says he's going to give us a new body. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a pledge of that adoption, that we've still got stuff to look forward to. That's what we've been talking about on Sunday. There's the kingdom of God right here and right now. And there's also a kingdom that's coming. And, and both of those things are true. And so when it's talking about our inheritance, of course, there's stuff in our future. That inheritance, uh, that, 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 that forever living with him, that, that uh, the, all the stuff he talks about that's, that's ahead of us, you know, that's that kingdom come that we talk about. That's our inheritance, and we haven't seen it yet, but we know it's coming. But there's inheritance now. And, and in fact, back to that thought in Colossians Remember, he says it's the inheritance of the saints. And then he ties it to the fact that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you were to look in the book of Acts, every time Paul had a chance to tell his story about how he got saved, he tells it. Every time they put him in front of a judge, and he's supposed to just like plead. Can you imagine? He's like on trial for a bunch of stuff. And he just goes on rabbit trails. He, no matter what he's on trial for, no matter what question the judge asks him, he's like, do you want to know my story about how Jesus found me? <laughs> he, he uses every opportunity. I guarantee if Paul had been pulled in on traffic tickets, he would have said, let me tell you how I got saved. The judge would say, I was just asking if you're pleading guilty or not guilty. Well, it was on this road to Damascus. <laughs> And, and, and what's cool about the book of Acts is that um, every time he tells it, you, he tells a little bit different parts of it. So the, the last time he tells it in the book of Acts, um, let me read it to you. Because there's something that I think is really key in what Jesus told him to do with his life. Paul was one of those guys that was saved from something, but he was saved for something. And he knew it. You know what I'm saying? In, in Acts 26... Uh, he knew that he wasn't just saved from being a religious persecutor who uh, persecuted Christians and treated them badly. He wasn't just saved from being a religious hypocrite. He was saved to preach the gospel. 
You know, this is why it's important, you know, things like Pastor Tia talked about on Sunday, about knowing that God's put treasures in you, gifts in you, things in you that, that are meant to be used, is that you know that I'm not just here trying not to be a bad person. I'm here redeemed and sanctified, and, and my life is meant for something. And he says this in Acts 26, he's before the king, and... and uh, <laughs> He tells his story again, and he says, Jesus knocked him down and told him, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. I've been poking you. You've been kicking. And in Acts 26, 15, he said, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I've appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only the things which you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing, you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So he's saying, I rescued you from these people, and guess what? I'm sending you right back to them. And then he says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan, the control of Satan, to God. Listen to that again. Here's his life's mission, to open people's eyes so that they would turn from the control and the dominion of Satan. They would turn to God, that they would receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by faith in me. If you were to do a study in the New Testament of all the times that he talks about your inheritance, you'll find that most of the time it's paired to the fact that you were sanctified. The word sanctified means I was made holy. I was made like my father. Let's just say this. We weren't qualified for that inheritance unless we'd first been cleaned up and made holy. There's a wonderful story. Because as I read this in Colossians, I, I, I realize that it's challenging three things that I really... I come up against in my own way of thinking from day-to-day -day life. The first thing it's challenging and the first question it's asking of me is, who do you serve? What kingdom, what, what rule do you belong to? The whole world around us is still walking, most of them are still walking in this domain of darkness. They're still controlled by something. And if we're not careful, we just get in line. Have you ever been somewhere where there was, I, I mean, I remember being at the airport one time and uh, there was a huge line to the ticket counter. I got in line because we have been trained, we've been coded to get in line, right? Especially in North America, we just get in line. If there's a line, we get in line. We have no idea why we're in line, but this is what we're doing. Okay, we're in line. <laughs> I remember I'd been standing in that line for like 10 minutes before I realized I don't even have to be in this line. I could go straight to the counter. Why am I standing here? Because I am like a sheep that just saw other sheep and just went, okay, we're doing this. We don't have that problem in, in a lot of the uh, parts of Asia that we've, you know, in China, before they had the Olympics, they had to practice lining up because people didn't do it. Because in China, there's just so many people, you just got to push your way into something. So before the Olympics, they had what they called queuing day where people practice standing in line like these weird North Americans do. 
But we've been so trained into it. Have you ever like stopped and just, I mean, if you just did a social experiment and we all just went to the mall today and lined up for something, there'd be people that would just go, okay, I guess there's something. <laughs> right? We would do it. So what happens is it's, there's a whole world that's being controlled by a force they don't understand. And we get out there and we just go, I guess this is what we do. We, we, we just live for our jobs or we just live for this, we live for that. And we just get in line and start doing what everybody else does until you realize Jesus died so you could be free from that. You don't have to do that. Amen. Oh, wow, okay. So number one, what, what rule am I serving? Like what kingdom am I a part of? That's the question I got to ask because the kingdom of God is radically different. It's not just, they're not opposites. You've got to realize that God is not the good God and Satan the bad God. Satan's not a God at all. He's just a fallen angel. And the domain of darkness is not the bad kingdom. It's just a little, just a, a rebellion over here. But the kingdom of God is righteous and it's right and it's good. See, the domain of darkness has slaves, but the kingdom of God has citizens. Such a big difference. How would you live if you were living in a place where you were merely a slave and you were forced to do these things and you didn't want to do it, but you had to do it and you were treated harshly and then you were brought into a kingdom and it wasn't just a better version of slavery. You were a citizen that had all the rights that everybody else had. That would change the game. Once again, do you know how to snap yourself out of that way of thinking? Just watch what Jesus did. Copy him. Then, it's, then it says here, back in Colossians, it says, not only have I been transferred, it says that I've been rescued, radically rescued, and it calls me a saint, qualified. I'm qualified to be a saint and share the inheritance of the saints in light. So the first question, if the first question I ask is, what kingdom do I belong to? Then the second question I've got to ask is, who am I? Who am I in this kingdom? Well, I'm a saint. Well, most of us in this room, we still trip over that word. It's still difficult for us to believe that. But we've got to believe that. And the other question I ask myself is, what belongs to me? What rights do I have? If I'm a citizen, if I'm a saint, what does that mean? What rights? What, how does that change the way? Is it just a title or does that change the way I live? It absolutely changes the way you live. There was this story I read as a kid. I used to have these books of missionaries on my shelf. They were little short stories about missionaries that had done great things for God. And there was one that really grabbed me. And it was a young man who was a prince in his tribe in Africa, but another tribe had invaded, another tribe had come and taken him away and made him a slave. And they treated him harshly and they treated him badly. And one day he escaped. He escaped, but he had heard rumors about Jesus. There had been a missionary that had come to the area. He had heard about Jesus and he believed on Jesus and he received Jesus. But then he heard Something and, and, and he heard something about the Holy Spirit and he just wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit. So he decided to go to America and find somebody who could tell him about the Holy Spirit. And he got on a boat. And what I loved about this, and it really, even as a kid, I just was drawn to it, 
was that this young man didn't know a lot about God, but he knew one thing, that God was his father. So he would just always, ask, he would just stop and pray, and he would just talk to God like a father. And there was this one moment on the ship on the way over, he was deathly ill. He was really, really sick. And he, everybody thought, this guy's going to die. He's not going to do well. And he just looked up and he said, Father, I believe that you want me to go to America and hear about the Holy Spirit. So, Father, heal me. And it was just the most childlike, simple prayer. And he was healed. And just throughout his life, he had these really simple, childlike moments. He finally got to America and found a guy. I mean, it, the story of him chasing down people who were so, somewhat, you know, thinking they're in their own little civilized world, and this radical believer who knows next to nothing but is going to find them and chase their cart down until they could tell him more about the Holy Spirit. And God just did some great things in this guy's life, and he became a powerful missionary and evangelist of the gospel. But what I loved about that was just that childlike father, if I'm your kid, this is what I'm asking was so simple. But here was just someone that just believed it. It says, I've been qualified, and, and this is the last thing i got to ask. Not, not just what kingdom do I serve and who am I and what belongs to me, but i got to ask myself, what qualifies me for this? And the reason I've got to ask myself all these questions is because you'll live different when you know what kingdom you're a part of. And you'll live different when you know who you are in Christ. And you'll live different when you know what belongs to you and you'll pray different. And lastly, you'll live different when you know what qualifies you. Because if you don't know what qualifies you, you will live the rest of your life trying to earn all of this. And it'll be a cycle you'll never find your way out of. Until you can believe that he qualified me you'll still live like an orphan that's trying to earn his way into the house. There's a verse that I, I love that says, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. Living for yourself is what an orphan does because no one else is going to fight for me. No one else is going to take care of me, so I need to take care of myself. I will steal what I need to steal. I'll fight for what I need to fight for, but I have to take care of me. The world is looking out for number one because they don't believe anybody else will. But when you really believe that you have a Father in heaven who cares for you, then you can believe what Jesus said. When Jesus said, don't you know that your Father takes care of the birds, he takes care of the flowers, and he cares for you much more than them? So why do you spend your life chasing things that the Gentiles chase? He goes, your father knows you need them. What a statement. Your father knows you need that stuff. He doesn't say clothes aren't important. He doesn't say food isn't a big deal. He says your father knows you need it, and it's his good pleasure to give it to you. Why don't you spend your life seeking the kingdom and all of his righteousness? All that other stuff's going to be taken care of. He's, he's challenged you to be radically different in the way you think. I have a father that cares for me. That's going to take a leap of faith to believe that. But it's so worth it, isn't it? It's so worth it. So we're closing up. I'm reminded of the uh, prodigal son. You know, one of the verses that I was reading when I was studying the inheritance that we have 
Paul writes about it, and then he goes on and says, in whom we have access to the Father. And I realize that the greatest inheritance we have is him. We so often think the greatest thing God could give us is what he has. And sure, he says, everything I have is yours, but the greatest thing we can have is him. Is access to him as our father, like Jesus did. What did Jesus glory in? You know, whenever he had a need, God met the need. But the greatest thing that Jesus really celebrated was the closeness of the Father and his relationship with the Father. The fact that he was close, that, that he said, I know my Father never leaves me. <laughs> um, he's always with me. What a statement. You remember the prodigal son? What was the lie that he believed? He believed if I could just get what my Father has, I'll go somewhere else and enjoy it. And he found out it didn't last, and it wasn't fulfilling, and it wasn't satisfying. He only found satisfaction back with his father. But what did the prodigal son's brother fall into? He had all this, but he never asked for it. He didn't even know what he had. And he's grumpy because when the prodigal returns, the father throws a party for him. He just forgives him. And the prodigal son's brother's mad because he just forgave him. Look what he did. He wasted all that stuff. He, he did bad things. He, he was, he's a rebel. Look at me. I've been working here for you all my life. And the father says, don't you know whatever I, if you wanted a fatted calf, I would have killed one for you. Everything I have is yours. You knew that. Why didn't you do that? We could fall into either category. Either being that person that thinks that the best life I'm ever going to have is out here away from him. Let me just, just give me what I need and I'll leave. Or we could be close to God in everybody else's eyes. We could be religiously close to God, but in our hearts and in reality, really far from God and never know what we have. God's challenging us to live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Just live like Jesus. If today anything I've said has caused you to go, but I'm not really sure how that looks in real life. Dig into the Gospels. And look at Jesus, not just as your Savior. Thank God for that. Not just as a king. Thank God for that. But also look at him as your example. How did he think of the Father? How did he think of himself? How did he think about the people around him? That's what he's called me to. He didn't give you a discount rip-off version of what he had. He gave you everything. Qualified you to share in his inheritance. So let's enjoy it together. Amen. Stand up with me.